You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Oh, buddy, it's Friday, and you know what that means? It means I don't got to work this weekend, and uh, hopefully you guys don't have to work this weekend as well you can go do whatever you want to do hang with the family or uh, if there are days just like me where all I really want to do is not move just sit down and stare at a blank TV screen if you've ever uh, if you've ever felt like that then I know exactly what you're going through but it's Friday we got an awesome kick-ass badass podcast today with a gentleman named Warren Womack now I didn't know this until recently. Warren Womack is a bit of a, a hunting legend down in Louisiana. And uh, what makes him a hunting legend is the fact that he has killed and documented 377 deer kills. That is a lot of deer over the 50 plus years that he's been hunting uh, I believe 100 with a gun and then the the remainder the 277 with either a compound or traditional archery gear so when uh, one of you guys I forget who it was sent me a little message and was like hey Dan you need to uh, get this Warren Womack on your show and have him do a hunter profile podcast I did a little research I looked into it and Yes, I did need to do that. So thank you guys for reaching out to me. And um, again, this uh, this guy is it's almost it's almost like he's on another level as far as hunting is concerned. And you're gonna you're going to learn how he hunts or how he has hunted, how he hunts now, and uh, you know the progression from when he was just starting out hunting to where he is today. And it's not necessarily really about hunting as opposed to somebody's life and lifestyle. So hopefully you guys got you know get enjoyment out of this like I did. I know I just basically sit back and listen to him talk. But before we get into this podcast, like always, let's hear what Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras has to say about the good and bad of trail cameras. Well, that's a great question, Dan. You know, we talk about this a lot, Chad and I do, you know, sitting around as we're, we're trying to come up with new products um, or ways to make our trail cameras better. And the fact that since trail cameras have become uh, as big as they have over the last 10 to 20 years, they're hugely important. They allow us so many things that were not possible before trail cameras became available to us. You know, I talk about it a lot from my personal stances. Trail cameras have allowed me to evolve as a hunter so much faster than I think I would have without them because I'm able to see what's going on and learn so much about the deer that I'm hunting um, when I'm not in the woods. And, and seeing those things have allowed me to, to kind of 
pick and choose the places and the deer that I want to hunt so much more than I'd be able to if I was just sitting on a log hoping for the best like it was in the old days. But I will say, I think they do get people in trouble in the fact that, you know, a lot of times this day and age, if we're not seeing that big mature buck showing up on camera day after day, we're hesitant to sit in the woods and wait. And, and I think there are times when that's kind of come back to haunt me is the fact that, you know, no matter how much Intel we're able to get, no matter how much, uh, no matter how much digital scouting we're able to do with these trail cameras, um, and all the tools that are available to us these days, there's nothing that, that beats putting time in the woods and learning things that are out there. And I think sometimes we rely a little too much on that data when, you know, sometimes you have to shut that switch off and really go in there and figure things out, um, for yourself. ExodusOutdoorGear.com. That's where you need to go to check out more information about their trail cameras. And, uh, I strongly suggest you do now, guys, it's not too late to buy trail cameras for the year. So if you guys want to purchase a trail camera, go online, go to ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And if you do decide to purchase Enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers with no spaces. And you guys will receive $20 off your order. And that's a good deal. So I, I think all you guys should take advantage of it. It's badass, uh, trail camera and, uh, yeah. So there's that. Now let's get into this week's podcast or this week's podcast. Today's Friday podcast with, Warren Womack. All right. On the phone with me now is a gentleman from Louisiana, and his name is Warren Womack. How are you doing today, Warren? I'm doing fine. Thank you. And you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I tell you what, I was, uh, you know, I got a message from uh, a couple guys on Facebook, and they said to me, hey, you got to interview this Warren Womack guy. And, I'm, and I go, who's uh, who's Warren Womack? And they're like, uh, you don't know who Warren Womack is? He's like a legend down south. So I looked you up, and sure enough, um, based off of the number of deer you've killed, that's a lot of experience. And that's when I was like, okay, I got to get this guy on the show. Well, I'm, I appreciate your, your interest and in, uh I'm looking forward to talking with you about anything you want to talk about. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I guess the first thing that I want to talk about is where do you live? And, you know, you mentioned you were retired. Um, You're retired now, but what did you do for a living before you were retired? Well, when I got out of high school, I went in the Navy and I I did a tour of duty in the Navy. And then when I got out, I got in the, uh, became an electrician. I went through the apprenticeship program in a local union out of Baton Rouge, local union 995 out of IBEW. And uh, I went through the apprentice program, became a German wireman, and uh, I worked there until I, like through that local until I retired. Nice. So you were in one, you, you stayed with one company for the entire time? Well, not necessarily. I worked out of a union and I worked for many different companies. You know, oh, okay. The, I got gotcha. you. The uh, union provided contractors with workers, and I was one of those many workers. Okay. So uh, over the, you know, for 30, or how many years were you an electrician? Oh, 40-some years. 40-some years. That's a long time. That's a long time to do one thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, you got different phases. I worked, uh, my my work was split, it's probably three different ways, in industrial, and in commercial, and nuclear. So I worked in 
all three. I did a little bit of residential, very little bit of residential, but, you know, some commercial. And uh, so, you know, I got to see all different parts of it and, and all phases of it, really. We didn't specialize in anything. We were qualified to do anything that uh, needed to be done, basically. So we had a different view and different look at different things. Right, right. So let's see here. Let's go. Or first off, where where do you live? Where do you where do you currently live? I live in the East Feliciana Parish. I was raised in East Baton Rouge Parish, uh, uh, in, a, in a community just kind of northeast of Baton Rouge, and then uh, I and I lived there and, and worked out of there until I retired. And when I retired, I moved probably twenty five miles north of Baton Rouge into a little town called Clinton. And I live southeast of Clinton, Louisiana, and, and East Baton Rouge, and East Feliciana Parish. Okay. So then did you live in Louisiana your whole life then? Yeah, except for the time I was on the road working. You know, right. work, when work would get short in our jurisdiction, you sometimes had to, to go out of state and work in different locals and stuff. So I've worked all over the country during mm-hmm. that. But uh, my home residence has always been Louisiana. Okay. So and that kind of that takes me to the first couple set of questions. And, you know, we're going to go all the way back. What? So what year were you born? 1944, Valentine's Day. Gotcha. So my first question is, who got you into hunting? Was it something that you, you, you got into by yourself, or did you have other relatives like your, some fathers or uncles who got you into it? Yeah, it was a family tradition. You know, all my uncles – my daddy and all my uncles on his side of the family were all hunters, and my mother, she had six brothers, and uh, they were all hunters, so it was just a family tradition. I, I was a born hunter. I just needed time to develop, you know, <laughs> right. to where I'm at now. Right. So talk to me a little bit about, I mean, did your dad have you involved in the hunting groups, or um, I guess, w- w- what was hunting like back, you know, in the 50s? when uh, when you were just getting into it yeah well you know we didn't have any deer uh in in louisiana around where i lived to hunt all the deer were along the mississippi river in the north part of louisiana basically and and i i, I didn't kill a deer until i was 24 years old and i just you know it just uh wasn't any to hunt it was all small game hunting my daddy you know he hunted rabbits and squirrels and and uh stuff like that and uh and we had squirrel dogs, and we hunt them, still hunt. And my favorite uh, holiday when I was a kid was Thanksgiving Day. We'd go to my grandma and grandpa's property up in the woods at their house and have a great big old Thanksgiving Day dinner. And then one of my uncles, he had uh, always had a real good squirrel dog, and we'd have all the male family members grab guns. We might have 15, 20 shooters, and we'd go tree squirrels and shoot them and, and just go from tree to tree like that. And that was a that was a blast. Everybody would shoot. they tree a squirrel, and everybody see a squirrel, they shot that squirrel, no telling how many times. Everybody would <laughs> laugh about it and have a good time. And, and that and rabbit hunting. And uh, that's where I, I basically learned woodsmanship that later uh, was real helpful for me in deer hunting and stuff like that. Okay. So you you grew up kind of hunting small game and uh you know squirrels and rabbits and stuff and and then you said it wasn't until you turned 24 that you ended up killing your first deer what how did you how did you get into deer hunting was it something that was just kind of a natural progression or did you did you have somebody else kind of push you into it 
Well, really, I was always fascinated by deer. You know, it just just the thought of a deer and, and seeing pictures of them and, and uh, a film and stuff like that. They didn't have any video back then, but film of them, I was just fascinated by them, especially since we didn't have any. And uh, the, the first hunt I went on was uh, was in Texas. I had an uncle lived out there, and, and he invited me and his brother, another uncle of mine, and we went out there and made a hunt out there. And uh and I, you know, I killed a deer out there. I think that was probably my first deer. And then I uh, come back home, and then I had another uncle. He had a lease up in North Louisiana, and uh, it was him and two other guys, I believe, and had a hundred acres in a real good deer area. And I went up there and killed my first deer, and and, and it was the most exciting thing I'd ever done. I mean, and from that moment on, I, I knew I wanted to be a deer hunter and do whatever it takes to to be able to hunt them. And uh, I went on a lifelong quest. I wound up scheduling my whole life around deer seasons after that. So, um, in this very first this very first deer hunt that you uh, went on, was it? Uh, did you harvest the deer with a gun? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember it? Can you share some of the you know share share some of that very first deer kill that you ever had with us? Well, I'd I'd, I'd rather it, it was pretty. Well, it wasn't much to it. A, a five point come come walking through, and I, I had a I had a thirty thirty lever action, and I, I just shot him. Basically, it wasn't that much to it. I was just hunting a general area and everything. Yeah. But I can tell you about the first bow hunt I ever made. It was it was pretty funny and and uh, interesting. That didn't result in a kill, but it it, it put a burning desire in me to, right. to hunt deer. Before uh, we before we get into that though, I want to talk, and and this kind of will will funnel right into that, but. You, you have kept a very detailed journal, uh, your uh, entire life. I mean, was that, was that deer kill that, that doe kill that you killed, um, on your uncle's lease in North in uh, Northern Louisiana deer number one for your journal? Yes, it was. Yep. It's, uh, in, in fact, I, I, I got my journal right here right now. It was, uh, in November, 1968 It was an evening hunt. It was a five point. I was hunting the general area in a 75-yard shot, and uh, he traveled 35 yards and stopped, and I shot him again and at, at uh, 40 yards, and uh, he dropped in his tracks, and that was in Waterproof, Louisiana. That was my first ever kill uh, right there. So talk- I'm reading it right out of my, my <laughs> journal. <laughs> so, so before we get into that first bow hunt, though, why don't you talk a little bit about this journal that you've kept for all of those years and why you decided to um, document every kill and that you've, I guess, that you've had over those years? Well, I, actually, uh, I, it's two two people, uh, two guys that uh, really uh, encouraged me to keep records and everything. One of was a co-worker, and he... He was hunting deer before I even dreamed of deer hunting, and, and he would bring pictures out. He was hunting out in Texas, would have had a lot of deer, and he'd bring these t- pictures and tell him stories and everything. And about that time, I was really getting interested in it. And uh, he, he told me, he said, he said, if you ever get serious in deer hunting, be sure to take plenty of pictures and, and keep a journal, write down information about each hunt and everything. And, and he encouraged me to do that. And then I got an uncle, my mother's youngest brother, and uh, my uncle Sonny, he he also encouraged me. He was a he was a big time hunter. He was a bird hunter and, and deer hunter. Just a he hunt anything, you know. And he kept up with numbers and stuff like that. And he encouraged me to take a lot of pictures and stuff. So I did. I, I started off with slides because I could I could uh, buy the film and and for the expense of 
of slides compared to getting pictures developed. I could get three to one on slides to pictures, so I did a lot of slides. I got thousands of slides, took a lot of pictures, and when I when I first my first gun hunts, I didn't I didn't keep a lot of records. It was about seven years I didn't keep anything on my gun hunts except for kills, and uh, but my bow hunts. I started with the first year. I was real serious about my bow hunting, and I started keeping records on that the very first year. And and, and it started off slow. I, I would write down uh, the shots I had and stuff like that and the kills, but I didn't keep up with, with daily hunts like I do now. And as the years went by, I started accumulating more information. I started seeing the value of it and what I was getting out of it and to help me with other hunts, plus memories. You know, as much as I hunted and everything, without – Without keeping pictures and, and video, I started the videos in 91. And without pictures and video and, and uh, writings, I, I, after so many, you can't remember them. Right. And right now, I can, somebody can ask me about any deer that I kill, and I can, within two minutes, I can cross, use cross-references. I can find the story and the pictures and the video in, in just a minute or two. I've got it all on computer now. I went and had everything handwritten, and I... And it took me years after I got a computer to get it all on computer documents and stuff like that. But I, I still don't have all my gun hunts, but I got all my bow hunts on there. And now in the last, uh, since I got a computer in 2002, I think, or 2001, I got a computer. Every hunt I make when I get home, I write out the entire hunt, whether I've seen anything or a shot and missed or, or hit and killed and found and I write details where I was at, you know, how, what I was hunting, how I was set up, and it's it's like a story. And if right. if you saw those stories in that journal on, on Outdoor Corps, you know what I'm talking about. Every day I hunt is is like a kill story without the kill or with the kill. Mm-hmm. And it just became uh, a real good hobby for me, something I enjoy. I enjoy getting home and writing all the stuff down about the hunt as much as I enjoy the hunt now. Right, right. So... Why don't you tell the listeners right now how many how many kills how many deer have you killed since you started well, hunting? I've killed three hundred and seventy seven, and I've killed a, a hundred with a gun, exactly a hundred, and, and uh, I killed a ten point this year that was number one hundred with a gun this past season. I mean, and uh, I've killed one hundred seventy five with a compound, and and a hundred and two with a recurve. So I've killed two hundred and a hundred and. 177, I guess, with a bow and, and 100 with a gun, 277, right. 377. Okay, so obviously that's multiple That's multiple deer a year. How many, on about average, your best guess, how many deer are you harvesting a year? <laughs> well, it depends on the year and everything, but what you got to understand, I've, I've hunted in 12 different states. And uh, and then in the old days when I first started hunting in, in uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, it was one a day with no season limit. And then I hunted uh, one area for six years that was considered Mississippi and Louisiana. It had an indefinite boundary line ran through it, and half of it was considered Louisiana and half was considered Mississippi, and it was both on the Louisiana side of the river. So you could actually kill two a day with no season limit. So. I, uh, I just I just hunted. I, I I come up in a time where everything is trophy hunting now, and, and I've never been a trophy hunter. I like I like the thrill of the kill. I, the kill for me is a payday for all my time, effort, and expense. And and uh, it's just 
I know a lot of people say, oh, I could have killed that one and I could have killed it. And you don't know if you could have killed it till you actually shoot at it. So a lot of things can happen. A lot of things can go wrong. Right. And I, I hunted with some real good hunting partners through the years. I mean, guys that were really good and it, it almost became a contest. We were competing each other kind of like in a bass tournament or something. Though. So, uh, it depends on the year. I've had, I, I, in, in 48 years of, of hunting, I've uh, went one year I didn't kill a deer, and that was probably in 2006 or something other. And uh, the rest of the time I've killed, I used to, I always thought I had to kill 10 a year to provide the meat for my family. You know, that was our right. a year-long meat supply, and, and I, I felt like if I didn't kill 10, I was a complete failure. So, right. <laughs> but I had I had good years and I had bad years, you know. So. With that you know, talking about with that said, talking about um, hunting for meat, and also you know it being your hobby, and did you pass up a lot of? De- I mean, did you ever pass any deer? Saying, okay, well, maybe that's just that deer's too young, or it's not necessarily what I'm looking for, or hey, I just want to watch this one as opposed to kill it, or was it kind of anything that walked by your stand was was getting a bullet or an arrow? Well, not a bullet. I, right. I I don't shoot does with a gun. I, you know, I've killed enough with a bow. That I don't I don't really want to shoot one with a gun. But uh, even though I have, I think I've killed ten does with a with a gun. You know, and that was during the last few years, lean years. And and uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty much if I got a chance to kill one because you know I I, I, I always valued myself as a good hunter but a poor shooter. So you know I missed a lot of deer too. <laughs> So, you know, I would I figured if I missed him, you know, if I shot, I might hit or I might miss. And if I hit him, that's good. If I miss, well, it'd be another one. So I didn't pass up many shots. But in the last 10 or 15 years, my hunting style started changing after the 97 season. And uh, it changed a lot. And, and, and hunting changed. And, and uh, I, I don't kill deer like I used to. What, uh, after that, what was it about 1997 that kind of changed everything for you? And what I changed? think lo- location. Some of the places I, I'd had the opportunity to hunt wasn't available anymore. You know, you can take the, the the best hunter that there is and put him in a in a poor location, and you can take a, a, a rookie hunter and put him in an outstanding location, and and the, the better hunter is not going to be able to compete with the, the rookie at all. It's all about location, and and I, I my locations got down. I got some age on me. I couldn't hunt the way I used to. The way I hunted that made me as successful as I, I was, was very, very physical. I mean, extremely physical. And uh, after you get a certain age, it gets hard to do that. You know, I'm still hunting now. I'm, I'm 72 right now. I still climb and, and, and uh, I hunt the same way I used to, basically. But a lot of places I used to hunt, I just I just don't have the, the energy and the stamina to go back like I used to. You know, I, I mean, it was it was... It was really tough hunting, a lot of hours, a lot of walking. I used to walk two to four hours a day just looking for sign to hunt, right. you know, and, and picking the best of what I found to go back and hunt. And, uh, I, I, but, you know, it just, I don't know, you just, uh, I, I done got drifted off of your question now, I believe. No, you're fine. It, so so basically in 97, is you, you said a little bit about starting to feel your age, and the other thing was, some of the hunting spots that you had traditionally hunted weren't available to you anymore. Why, why was that? I mean, properties switch owners, did public land disappear? What was that? 
Yeah, uh, it was also in two special places that I didn't have permission to hunt anymore. And, and uh, one of them was a club I was in, and I, I got out of the club, and I left it after six years. And and uh, and another one was it just somebody bought it out. I wasn't able to hunt there anymore, and and just it just changed. Plus, I started seeing less deer too. And uh, the the deer, I noticed after '97, my deer sightings per season started really going down. I kind of keep a graph on that, and I keep keep up with numbers and stuff. And and I, I write everything. You wouldn't believe the, the detail stuff I, I record and all that and it just it's, everything started doing a ni- nose dive after 97 on deer sightings and, and, and deer encounters and everything and, and uh, my places I started hunting more around the house we moved up here 11 years ago and I started hunting around the house uh, I wasn't able to go off and make my four day hunts a lot of a lot of thing about my success was I would go on four day hunts and uh, it'd take a day or two to find them and a, and a day or two to hunt them you know and and uh and I would hunt during the middle of the week when most people were working when I was hunting public land. That was a that was a big advantage right there. Right. But it just everything just started changing. I had some heart problems, had some back problems and, and uh it just uh at age it creep up on you, no matter how good you <laughs> try to stay in shape, you know how much you try to stay in shape. That's right. Now in regards to you know, the detail that you kept and you said you kinda of took a nose dive do you have any ideas of why you started seeing less deer? Was there more hunters? Were you hunting in, uh, I guess, areas that had less quantity? What were some of the reasons you think you were seeing less deer for? I think the deer got more nocturnal, and I don't think it's as many deer as it used to be in the areas that I hunt, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I, down here in this area, it, it's a lot, a lot of hunting pressure. These guys down here, they hunt every day they can. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it, I hunt a lot of public land, and uh, I, I noticed I was hunting places I'd never seen anybody that was starting to see activity, human activity, and everything, even long distances from the vehicle. And uh, it puts a lot of pressure on those deer. And uh, even here around the house, I got deer on my property and everything, and I get one one chance to kill at the the first week of the season. And if I don't kill one, if I miss one or he spots me or something like that, I don't see another deer the rest of the season. It's over with. I got one shot here on our property. That's how spooky they are. I mean, it's it's really difficult. It's nothing like the Midwest anywhere, which I've hunted before. And uh, I think they just got more nocturnal, and uh, and it's, it's I don't think they have the population like they used to have. Right. So before I interrupted you, you were gonna you were gonna start telling us a story about your very first bow kill that you well, had. It, it actually wasn't my first kill. It, <laughs> it was my first shot. Your uh, first shot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You want me to tell it now? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, this this place where I killed my first deer at up there, I, I hunted, gun hunted that, that first year, and then that, I got excited about it once I was killing that deer, and I was always interested in bow hunting. I'd always been shooting a bow, you know, uh, since I was a kid, and, and uh, I was always interested in air flight and shooting bows, and, and I had a little fiberglass 40 pound bow wasn't nothing to it i had some mixed mass arrows and stuff and some broadheads well that i'd never thought to sharpen you know i, I didn't i was totally ignorant they didn't have any video or books or you could get outdoor life or field and stream and maybe once a uh a, a, a year they'll have an article about bow hunting and something you know it just it didn't have the education factor back there that they have nowadays uh but anyway i got my little old bow and 
and got a couple of arrows, and, and I, I found a, where the deer were crossing. It was pretty good many deer in the area. It was up in North Louisiana, and uh, I, I got some boards and nailed some boards on a tree and, and built a little platform up there, probably about 12 foot high, and, and uh, I worked on that thing that morning, that evening. I went and climbed up in it same evening. I'd done it, you know, totally ignorant, and I had a deer come <laughs> through, and, and I, I shot her. I actually hit her. But I had a Ben Pearson deadhead broadhead, and I'd never sharpened it. I'd shot it in dirt and everything. It never came to me or any thought that I should sharpen it. You know, I just just never never thought about that. And and uh, anyway, I shot that deer right in the shoulder, dead center of the shoulder, and it carried my arrow off, run off. Well, I shot it right before the door and got down. I didn't have a flashlight. I had to get go back to my vehicle. Had to drive 15 miles to find a store about flashlight. <laughs> I was totally unprepared, just totally ignorant, didn't know anything. And I come back and I, I didn't. I found a couple of spots of blood, nothing to track. I didn't didn't find the, the deer and everything. And but two weeks later, I was up there gun hunting and I found my arrow about 300 yards. Just happened to walk up on it 300 yards about from where I'd shot her. And uh, but anyway, that one little incident, one little hunt just put a burning desire in me to just want to hunt them things. I got so excited about it, and it was such a good feeling. I just had to duplicate it, and I wanted to duplicate it as much as I could. So I, I went on a lifetime quest to learn as much as I could about what it takes to, to get deer under you and, and make good shots with good equipment. And just it, it's a lifelong quest for me, and and, and it, it's something I've been, been uh, hung up with for ever since then. I used to squirrel hunt a lot, and that shooting that one deer and not find it made me realize I'd rather miss a deer with a bow than kill a hundred squirrels with a shotgun. <laughs> so I ended my squirrel hunting right there. So, okay, so that was your very first bow experience with right. taking a shot at a, a um, doe and uh, and not killing her. But let's right. t- let's talk about your very first bow kill. <laughs> now, that's kind of wild too. Uh, I had uh, I had made a hunt and uh, I was walking back to my my motorcycle. Actually, hunting off a motorcycle. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry and, uh, for laughing, but you don't hear that very much. Yeah, it was a dirt bike. I, I had a, I had a little truck that didn't have no grips on it, nothing two wheel drive, you know. And 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 I had a I had a, a enduro motorcycle. That I used to ride enduros with and everything, so I was just using it. And uh, anyway, I. I I was walking back to that to that uh uh motorcycle and, and it wasn't quite dark yet and a deer jumped up in front of me and I just shot at it and I hit it. I shot it in the hind quarter and uh and it went running off. Well I went back to the camp and got a couple of friends of mine, we come back and we looked for it and looked for it and we never could find it. And I made a hunt the next morning and then we looked for it some more and, and I told them I said, after about an hour, I said, y'all just go on. I said, I ain't going to find that thing. And uh, they'd want back to camp, but I wouldn't give up on it. I kept looking and kept moving around, moving around, and finally I jumped it, a deer up, and I and I shot it. It jumped up, and I shot it, and I killed it. And it was the same deer I shot the night before. I shot it in the back of the hindquarter up high, and it passed through the hindquarter and come out by the flank. It's just a flesh wound. Yeah. And then it was just bedded down, and when I jumped it up, it took a couple of steps and stopped and I actually killed it right there. So, so that was, that was my actually first kill right there. And I, I hauled it back on the motorcycle, which a motorcycle is, is not the best way to haul a deer. I can guarantee you that. 
I slung that thing in my lap, you know, and they're sliding <laughs> off and trying to. It was it was wild, you know. But uh, I got pictures of me and the motorcycle and the deer slung across me. Uh, I actually have pictures of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, so you shot this. You know, you ended up finding this uh, deer. It jumped up. You killed it. Did did that give you even more drive to continue bow hunting? Oh, yeah. I was uncontrollable after that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, my wife, we've been married for 54 years. And, uh, I, you know, I sleep in my truck. I, I got my truck truck rigged out where I, I sleep in. And I had a, one truck. And this is how much she had to put up with me. I had an old 85 Ford uh, four-wheel drive truck with a camper hull on it. Of course, I had had plywood in the back and carpet on it. And I had a, a, a frame for a single bed mattress and I had curtains in the windows and reading light and a tailgate light for cooking on the tailgate. And I lived in that thing. I actually spent over 1100 nights in that truck hunting. I, every time I'd spend a night in, I'd take a marks lot and I'd put a mark on it on the truck. And then the fifth one I'd cross over and I had over 1100 nights. I spent in that truck. So I was gone a lot. I made a lot of four day hunts. Right. So, do you still have that same truck today? No, I don't. But I've, I've went through. Uh, I think I'm on my fourth one. I started off with a with a Datsun pickup truck, 1970, and then I went to a 74 Bronco, and then I went to the 85 Ford, and then uh, it lasted a long time. And I think I killed 125 deer while I had my Bronco, and then uh, I, I went to that uh, red truck, and oh, I, I'd have to check see how many I killed. It was a bunch of them, and then I got a. Uh, my truck started going out on me, and I wasn't ready to get invest in, a, in another one that I wanted. So I bought my son's. He had one that wasn't four wheel drive; it was two wheel drive, and his family was growing in size, and it was outgrowing that truck. So I, I bought it from him, and he got something else. And I had a camper hull on it too, and I slept for a couple of hundred nights in it. And then the truck I got now, uh, which I don't hunt off like that that much anymore. I stay close to the house. And I've hunted, I spent over 200 nights in it, I believe. So it's just a lifestyle, you know? Right, for sure. For sure. It's almost like, uh, you know, uh, backcountry camping for mule deer or elk, but you're just doing it, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I started off uh, in a tent. Well, that leaves a whole lot to be desired. It didn't take long for me to cull a tent. That was yeah. And then uh, I, I got into a club for six years and I had, I built a camp and I had a camp there. Well, when I, I left, I just abandoned the, the uh, camp. I just left the place and left it there. And then I had my Bronco, and, and I spent a few nights in my Bronco. I, it was real cramped. I had a plywood board that went across the back from window to window in the back. I took the back seat out. And then I had a, uh, I'd fold my, my front seat down and up, and then I'd laid a piece of plywood from the dashboard down to that board in the back. And I'd sleep with with my head up against the windshield. Well, that wasn't too much fun. You know, I, I used that like that for about a year, maybe two years, and then I, I bought that 85 Ford uh, four-wheel drive truck. And that's when I started getting serious in. And I started, like I said, I spent over 1,100 nights in it. So right, I, right. I, it was a really serious deal for me. So I got a question. With all this time you spent, what did, what does your, what did your wife think about you spending 1100 nights in a truck and hunting so much and, and killing all these deer and, and keeping a detailed journal. What was, uh, what was your wife thinking? Well, she gave me a, a lot of support. I, I more than any other woman probably would. She was already supportive, but, uh, 
and, 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 you know, she put up with a lot. Now she wants me to stay home more. We live out in the country and, and she's uncomfortable staying here by herself and everything. So I've, I've really cut back. I, I don't think I, it's, I think it's been two years since I spent a night in my truck. Now I just go for the day and come back, you know, and, and I've shortened my distance and, and, uh, Everything's kind of winding down for me, you know. I'm kind of in the in the December of my hunting uh, yeah. years, I guess. You know, it's it's winding down, but uh, she's been great. I, one time that I guess, and she and she'll she'll say this too. Probably the the biggest thing that she didn't like. <laughs> I, I sent uh, I sent four deer home one time. I was going hunting, and I sent four deer home with somebody else, and uh, for her to clean. <laughs> <laughs> And then when I come home, I brought two more. And man, I told her, when I got stepped in that door, she let me have it, buddy. She said, "She said you better not ever do that again." We had three small kids in, and she put up four deer by herself. And uh, you know, uh, of course, they were all quartered up and everything. She cut all it up and wrapped it and did the whole thing, put it up. And I, and she said, "You better not ever do that again." <laughs> but she's she's fifty with me on 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 deer, putting them up, processing them, and other things. She's right there with me doing the whole time. Okay. And she's she's a she's quite a woman, that's for sure. I tell you what, if I sent any deer home to my wife, she would turn around and send it right back to wherever I was at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told that guy to keep two of them, and he didn't keep them. He brought all four. <laughs> oh Lord, so. You mentioned you have, you know, you mentioned you have children as well. Have they been a part of hunting? Have they taken interest in it like you have? I got them started when they were real young and everything, but their interest went in a different way and everything. I, one son, he got in it with me, and, and uh, he bow hunted with me some and gun hunted. He killed a few deer, but he started getting kids, and they were into ball and rodeo and all that stuff like that, and he got more interested in fishing and and uh, supporting his kids and their activities and stuff, and he just kind of lost interest in it. My other son, he uh, he got real. He's only killed one deer. My second son, he killed one deer, and I was with him when he killed it. And then he was a grown man with kids, and uh, he just never, never got into it. But he was a real big coon hunter. He did a lot, a lot of coon hunting for a good number of years, and and finally he got a dog that was so good that when he died, he just knew he'd never be able to replace him, so he just gave it up. Okay. And, uh, but that, that, you know, that's it. Now my, I got a grandson, he's into it real big and, and he would love the deer hunting until that duck dynasty stuff come out and, uh, he got to watch him duck hunting. He started duck hunting. Now that's all he wants to do. He likes that a lot better than deer hunting. Okay. So, you know, 370 some deer you've killed. What's one thing over all those years that you've learned about deer? What's, what are, what are some things that you should, you know, if, if a guy says to me, who's never hunted a deer or says to you, I've never hunted deer, what do I need to know about deer? What would you tell him? I, I think, uh, well, you know, they're unpredictable. They, they got different personalities, just like different people do. Some roam, some stay tight. Uh, some are more nervous than other ones. Uh, it's just, they all got their own personality, but I think for as hunting and other thing, I think a person should really strive on making high percentage hunts and, and you know and high percentage hunts is where you expect a deer to come in instead of hope he comes in and and I've, I've searched many many hours i hunt feed trees mostly that's my favorite way to kill a deer in fact my favorite way to kill a deer i hunt a lot of big public land uh national forests and stuff like that and and my favorite way to hunt a deer is to put my stand on my back with a pack 
and, and everything I need to go find what I'm looking for, climb on it, make a kill, uh, totally independent, get the deer out by myself in, in a place I've never been before. Now, that's, that's what it is. But I, I spent many, many hours looking for that perfect spot that I just can't walk away from. And I just, I bet my home that a deer's going to come in on it. It always happened. I'd lose my home probably a lot of times, but at the moment, I just think it's impossible for them not to come in. And uh, I think uh, you make high percentage hunts on, on uh, high percentage places, you know what I mean? And you got to right. look for them and find them. So what was, what when you're, you know, you got your pack on, you got your stand on, you're walking into the timber or the field or wherever you're hunting, what are you? What were you looking for? What What would constitute a high percentage sign? Well, I like to hunt hardwood bottom land, basically. You know, I've hunted hills too, and everything. Hills, the wind eats you up in the hills, and it's real tricky. And I like to hunt feed trees. I'm talking about oak trees and persimmons and stuff like that. And you got that in the hardwood bottoms. And I, I start off on creeks. I like to I like to creeks and drainages and stuff like that's where your oak tree is going to be smz's is uh streamside management zones between a creek and a cutover area like that i like to walk and, and check those trees when they're dropping acorns and and uh just i mean all acorns aren't the same you know they all don't drop the same and and you got to find that one and you might look for hours and hours at hundreds of different oak trees, and when you find that one, it's something that'll take your breath away. You got, you got the ground is is pulverized under there where they've been walking around picking up acorns. You got acorns falling. If you stand there for a minute, you don't hear an acorn fall. It's not a it's not a high percentage hunt in my bird. You can hear them acorn falling. You're gonna see, you're gonna see uh, squirrels or birds, blue jays or, or blackbirds or, or coons up in that tree. It's a real, real active tree, and those deer are gonna come to it. And when I find that tree right there, I circle it one time, just looking for the sign, and I'm looking for a tree downwind within 15 yards to climb on. Yeah, that's, pretty... That, that, that's pretty much it, you know. And, and if I, I, I'm by myself, all just about all I hunt. My hunting partners that I hunt with, we we don't hunt together. We we meet up after the hunt yeah. or, or something like that, and we go. Sometimes we'll scout together, and but uh, we don't hunt together. So I'm I'm alone. I'm totally independent on on getting that deer out by myself. And a lot of my hunts have been really long distance. I'm talking about where you t- walk a, a hour. Or hour and fifteen twenty minutes to get back in there, and you got to get that deer out. That's where the quarter comes in. You know, you go ahead and quarter him up and put him in a bag, and uh, cut his head off and pack him out. Right. Okay. So, have you ever been lost? No, but I've been turned around pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> At least yeah, you'll I, never I, admit I, it, right? I've been where I didn't want to believe my compass, <laughs> but I've never spent the night in the woods. I'll say that <laughs> I've come out a pretty good ways from my truck a couple of times, you know, uh, and curves in the roads out there, you go into a mess you up. And then, and if you go in on a road at dead ends in a big block of woods, and it's sometimes you'll, you'll miss that little dead end when you're coming back to it's, it's tricky. GPS has helped out a lot. Right. And I got a GPS the first year I was able to, and, and, uh, Learn how to use it, and it's, it's remarkable. So, a little bit more about scouting. Um, are you, you know, you're, you said you, those feed trees, you're looking for those feed trees, you circle around it, and then you're, you drop, you know, 10, 15 yards back on a first good tree. And uh, are you setting 
off of a off of a trail as well? Um, are you looking strictly for food, or are you looking for buck sign or bedding areas or anything like that? Uh, I'm looking for the most sign I can find right, right at the time. Sometimes they have trails near it. Sometimes they don't. Uh, it's it, and then the feed trees don't last, you know, but uh, but six eight weeks, you know, and that's over with basically. I mean, you have some some oaks that drop in December, and then you got a, a variety that drops in January and February too. But basically, the acorn tree hunting is over by by uh, the first of December at the latest. And uh, but uh, I, I hunt creek crossings, I, I hunt uh, funnels, uh, I flow areas, just a general area where I, I you know, it's something I've seen them coming through. Those, those deer, I call a flow area where they just going from point A to point B, and they're using much cover as they can. You might have some open woods, but in that open woods, you can have one part that's a little bit thicker than the other, or have a little depression in it where they can get down and it conceals them more, and, and you find one of those flow areas. Man, I've killed a lot of deer on flow areas, and it's, it's not a funnel, it's not a it's not a, a trail or nothing, it's just where they're just meandering through, taking advantage of the different elevations and thickness of stuff. And you find one, you can kill deer year after year off that thing until something happens to make it different from what it, it was when you found it. So, has your journal helped you remember where to go to? Absolutely. So yep. it's it's basically a running, it's a running, I don't, I don't know, uh, almanac of where you should be hunting every year. That's right. Yeah, because you know I remember all the places. In fact, I got them wrote down in maps, and I, I remember locations, and I can see when I killed on those locations, and I can go back and check it if I'm hunting the same areas. You know where they at and everything. I tell you something else about oak trees that you, you might not know too. If you find an oak tree dropping real good, especially where they got hills and stuff like that, you can check the elevation on that oak tree, that where it's at, it's doing good, it's in its prime. And you can go different areas and check that same elevation. It's a good chance you'll find acorns dropping there, too, at that same time. So same time, same elevation on the hillside. Yeah, yeah. And then, okay, man, that's that's, uh, that's a unique observation. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really pretty accurate, too. You know, nothing, I hunted one tree. as a big white oak tree over a, a dry, sandy creek bed and uh, up on a bluff. I hunted that thing. I killed two different years in a row off of it, and it was in a real isolated area. I don't, I don't think anybody ever been there. I mean, it's really hard to get to. And uh, I found that thing, and I killed two or three, maybe four deer off of it in, in two years in a row. And, and I checked it the next 10 years and never had another acre. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's crazy, you know. <laughs> I don't know why. And the, the, the years I killed on it, man, they were just, acres were just raining out of that thing. Big old white oak acres, the deer loved them. That sand down in that dry sandy creek looked like somebody had uh, disked it up with deer deer hooves. It's un- unbelievable. Never had another acre in the next year, ten years. Huh. Well, I guess it's hit and miss then. Yep, I see. Especially white oaks. Now your water oaks and your and your red oaks are more dependable. But those white oaks, oh man, they're good. But you don't never know when. They, I got some in the yard. There, I got one that drops every year, beats on my shed, my metal building. And I got another one that has acres maybe every three, four years. It's it's crazy. So, you know, you you've spent a lot of time in a tree stand. What are some things that you've observed about deer behavior that you'd like to share with us, or or not necessarily deer behavior, but you know, these magazines. You got 
you got these writers, right? You got uh, quote unquote yeah. hunting celebrities. You got all these people trying to tell us, hey, you should be in this location during the pre-rut. Then you got the rut. Then you got the pro- post-rut, early season versus late season. You know, all these people trying to give us advice. Yeah. What, what are some what are some things that you've learned just by being in a tree stand about deer? The further the deer is away from you, the easier you can see you. The closer he gets, the less chance he has because of the angle, the degree of bearing from his eyesight, looking up the tree and everything. Yeah. And if you see a deer out there in an oak flat, you know, that's uh, 60, 70 yards, you better not move. He's going to spot you. You know, and as he gets closer and gets in, when he gets in about 20 yards or something like that, 25, the, the degree that he has to look up or his vision is you're above his his straight look and everything like that. But when he's far out, and that works for human beings too. I mean, same thing. You get up close to a tree, you don't see up the top of it like you can out away from it and everything. That's 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 pretty important. And bucks, I've noticed bucks, they'll they'll stand like a statue, like a darn uh, lawn ornament out there. Just don't move for up to 30 minutes. I've seen them. And then once they satisfy, everything is cool. You know, everything's right. They just walk like it, they're the only person in the world, only thing in the world. You know, they just kind of stride on in. A doe, she's always looking for boogers, man. She's waiting for something to jump out at her behind a tree. Every, every step she takes, she's real nervous all the time. And I think that's because the does are more active in the daylight than a buck is because they they got a they got these fawns. They got to train and 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 teach and and learn how to exist and 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 uh, survive. You know, they right. more active in the daylight and. And they they travel more. An old buck, he ain't worried about nobody but himself, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so he he satisfies everything's cool, and he just he's they're a lot easier to shoot, I think, than a doe is. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh makes good sense. So, man, I got I got so many things running through my head right now, but <laughs> <laughs> but like anything else? I mean, what are some what are some some really good memories? Do you have any any good memories or or things i mean you've seen a a lot of sunrises you've seen a lot of sunsets anything over all those years that you've that really sticks out and you're just like and to to kind of emphasize the fact that it's not necessarily all about the kill but it it's the it's the journey it's the hunt that's what's important oh you're definitely right right there you know i I love to kill don't get me wrong man i i feel like a failure when i don't you know but but uh it's a whole experience it's it's uh Scouting is real important. I love to scout. I love to walk and find something. And, you know, I I really, inward, I celebrate big time when I find something I think I can make work, you know, to put a deer underneath and all that and everything. And and the equipment, you know, getting your equipment right and depending on it and believing in it and making it work and having what you think is the best to get the job done. And, and, uh, uh, just all of that, and in time with friends, I had some some great hunting friends. I mean, some guys that I really, really admire and respect for their ability to hunt and to kill deer. I mean, just uh, two two in particular. I, I think they're best best deer hunters and bow hunters I've ever known. I've been around. They just they're awesome, and I spent a lot of time with them. One in particular for sure, and uh, just the time I spent with them, you know, and the things we've shared and stuff like that. The close calls. Uh, the pack outs together. I mean, it's just all that. And and what what I've done that I think is real special is pictures. I've taken thousands and thousands of pictures. I, ever since uh, I got the first digital camera, I ever saw, I could see the value of it, where where I could 
just put it in a computer and save the pictures. You ain't got to get them developed and all that. And I, I paid, I think, $350 for one of the first digital cameras that you can buy now for probably $40, you know, because it wasn't but a two megapixel. Man, once I got that, that digital camera, I'd take pictures of everything, you know, I, I, all the time. And I got that, plus I started videoing when I was uh, 91 season. I got a I got a season video of every season since 91. Uh, I mean, it's, it, and I, it's, I got an editing program. I got it edited. It's, I got all the bells and whistles with most of them, especially in the last few years, of every, every deer season, every turkey season since 91. And uh, that brings all those memories back that you're talking about and all those good times. As far as just one particular thing, man, I'd, I'd, I'd be uh, I'd be downgrading something that was just as good to just single out one. You know what I mean? Right, right. It makes a lot of sense. What's what's your fa- – I mean, do you have a favorite part about bow hunting or hunting in general that is just – you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who – they they're not necessarily against hunting, but they don't hunt. You right. know, what would you tell those people about hunting and maybe maybe why they should give it a shot or even what's so appealing about it? I, I think it's just the entire process from start to finish and it's it's like a it's like a journey, you know. You get your equipment together, you're planning your hunt, you you're going and you're looking for the perfect spot to hunt. You're seeing the deer come in. If you're lucky, you, you make a good shot and you find your deer. And you, and then the the effort it takes to get them out. I always said the the harder the hunt, the more memorable the hunt. You know what I mean? And, and uh, just all of that, the whole package is is more than just killing something and, and the blood and guts of it. It's the whole picture of it, the whole thing. Right, right. So you you have kind of a a pretty unique way that you climb a tree. And uh, I've watched uh, I've watched a couple videos on on what you do and how you do it. But can you can you share with our listeners your your deer gear setup and and what you're doing to climb a tree? Yeah, well, you know, I got I got several different climbing methods for for different situations. I think my primary was always the the tree spurs. Just strap them on your legs and climb up. You know, they work really good. And then uh, and then in eighty. 82 or 83, I discovered the woodpecker drill. Jerry Simmons of the Simmons Broadheads, he invented the woodpecker drill. It's a little hand drill. That you, you, the, the drill folds out of the handle, and like little, probably about 120 degrees, and it's got a knob on the handle, and you can drill a hole with it in about 20 seconds. You insert a 3 8 inch uh, grade 8 hardened bolt and use for a step. And, uh, and then I use that to climb a tree. And once you drill that hole, you don't have to drill it again for that tree. When you go back, when I, I'll drill a tree and put the bolts in and climb up and hunt out of it. When I come down, I pull the bolts out. And I usually drill 10 bolts high. And I pull the bolts out and put them in my little pouch. Well, the rest of the season, I can go back to that tree and I don't have to re-drill it. I just insert the bolts in the hole and climb as as I climb and get up there and hang my stand. Very, very quick, easy, simple, and probably the safest way, I think, to climb a tree. And... uh and then during the spring, when the tree goes through the growing period, the holes close up and and seal. And I've never seen where this uh, harmed a tree in any way or another. They have a little scar for a couple of years, and then it grows out where you can't see where it was drilled at before. And then my other method would be uh, 
rope steps and, and strap steps. And I use the rope steps and hardwood trees and and uh, use the uh, strap steps for pine trees. What and what then, are uh, those? Beg pardon. What what are those? What's a rope step in a? It, a... It, it's an easy strap. It's a it's a little uh, a little fold up L. It's it's a it folds from being compact to an L position. It's got a rope that that goes through it, and it's got like a Chinese finger uh, handcuff thing that it goes through, and you cinch it down around a tree, and it makes a step. And the and the uh, strap steps are, are some plastic uh, step, L shaped step. With a strap that goes around it, and you, you cinch the strap up, and just like I put them about uh, knee high apart. When I when I'm woodpecker drill, I'm drilling my holes knee high. I drill my my knee, and then step on the step and drill across on the other side on knee high and going up. And you do this the strap on steps the same way. And then uh, tree sticks. I really don't like tree sticks. I, I, they're they're too bulky and and heavy for my style of hunting. I like everything real light and portable. Right and uh, and uh, I, 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 that's more of a permanent stand for me. You know, if I'm hunting someplace, maybe gun hunting, and uh, want to hunt it maybe once every two weeks or something, I might put some up there and then go hunt it like that over a food plot or something like that. And uh, I think that's I don't believe I missed anything else. Ladder stands. That's uh, it, I started off with a ladder stand, but didn't know any better. And uh, actually, uh, a friend of mine designed probably the first lock on stand has ever made and uh and he 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 was a a pipe fitter welder and he he uh designed this stand and and uh i, I got to see it and and i made my own uh version of it i'm electrician i could be an emt and everything i've been some emt up. i had a friend of mine he welded it all together and we we made that as a solid model and then he figured out how to make it fold but it was still bulky and then i made it figured out another way to make it compact and then we made them like that for years. We never could, we never could get them under ten pounds. And uh, when the lock-on limit come out, lock-on limit and lock-on windwalker, they were five and three quarter and six and a half pounds. And uh, I got a lock-on limit, and and only because it was lighter than the ten pound one that we had. The one I had that uh, that we made and designed everything. It was probably the most sturdiest lock-on stand I've been on, and I still have it. You know, but I, I use my limit because it's so lighter, even though it's not as comfortable and very, very small. <laughs> right, right. So what's, uh, you know, uh, talking about gear, you know, a lot, there's been a lot of innovation and a lot of things that have changed over the years. I mean, when I take it, when you first started bow hunting, there wasn't quite a lot of, uh, you know, gear and or even interest in bow hunting um but what's have you have you noticed anything that that's changed in uh in bow hunting and, and maybe an example of what that's from a gear standpoint what that is oh yeah when i first started they didn't have compound bows at all i mean it was all long bows and recurves and uh i started bow hunting in 69 in 75, I got one of the first three compound bows that come to Baton Rouge. Uh, had a guy had a little uh, household archery shop, a little building behind his house, and he called me and he said he had three compound bows coming in. He was going to take one. Another guy wanted one. He wanted to know if I wanted the other one. And I, I said, I, I'd seen them in magazines, but I'd never seen one person, everything. And I said, yeah. I said, uh, 
I'll take it. So I got it, and I started. I hunted with a compound from '75 through the '92 uh, season, and uh, and uh, but that was just the beginning. Though since then they've got. I mean, we didn't have range finding. The the first time I ever saw a lighted knock, man, I I ordered one. I, I, was, <laughs> I said I got to have that, you know, because your best bow hunting is real late, and and uh, it's hard to see your sight pins and stuff. And and uh, I got one of those the first time I ever seen one. And but I mean the equipment, you know, I'm a traditional bow hunter now. I went back to a recurve and for the '93 '94 season, and I haven't shot a compound bow since then. And uh, my equipment is real basic. I you know I don't have any sights, anything, just real point and shoot stuff like that and uh i don't have all that fancy equipment like a lot of the compound boys right the guys do you know so i haven't kept up with that part of the technology at all you know uh i'm real ignorant on that but i'm re- kind of ignorant on tradbo stuff too you know? yeah i'm not i'm not very technical at all i just kind of something works that's been working for all these years i'm not planning on changing i'm gonna stay with it right right <laughs> do you feel that that People are overthinking deer hunting, and you know, as far as deers, you know, you keep a real keep it really simple. Do you think we've complicated things? Uh, I, I don't know. It's, you know, if it works for somebody, I, you know, I think it's a good thing. You know, I, I think a lot of people might have a lot of stuff that they don't need, or, or you know, could get by without. But if it makes them confident in what they're doing, and 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 they think it helps them, I think it's a good thing. You know what? It's it's an individual preference and all that, you know. I, I'm I'm just I'm just real old and set in my ways and and uh and uh I, I've got a uh I've got a cousin a young cousin you know he's actually my first cousin's son and he's a grown man he's he's 38 years old and he's really got into this stuff and he's always hit me about this all this new stuff how about this and how about that I, I kind of laugh at a lot of it you know uh, but uh, if it if it person gets confidence out of it and they think it helps them a little bit i'm all for it you know just technology is i'm not i'm not gonna say it's not good i i just say i don't need some of it you know right but if i do recognize something now the the, the lighting in it with these led lights and other thing now we used to pack coon like uh, uh batteries my battery weighed as much as my stand did <laughs> <laughs> you know and we would be gone you know it, it was we was really uh Time consuming. We burn a lot of battery and everything, and we'd make these four day hunts. And we got these uh, coon hunting batteries. We could get about ten to twelve hours off of it, but they weighed about five, four and a half five pounds, you know. And that's I'd strap it on your belt and all that. And the LED lights that come out now, man, I got some lights that just, man, I can light light up anything out there a hundred yards with it, and you can see the ground so good. It really helps you on your tracking and stuff like that. So I'm all for anything that I think can better what I'm doing. But I, but a lot of that stuff that they have, I don't see where it's going to better what I'm doing. Right, right. All right. So I got a couple. I got some questions for you in regards to your your journal here that you've kept these this these 370 some deer that you've that you've cut, killed. 77. Don't cheat me. Out of my <laughs> I, I missed enough. I got to count every one I can. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, do you have a specific number that sticks out in your mind that you kind of remember that particular hunt over other all the other hunts? Oh yeah, I got some favorite hunts without a doubt. And everything, you know, uh, and uh, in that outdoor core deal, uh, uh, you can bet my favorite ones in that. I don't have all my stories 
in the Womack Journal and OutdoorCore.com, but I, I've got the best ones for sure, you know what I mean? So right. they're in there. If somebody wants to go read them, you know, they they right there. And uh, uh, like I say, it's several. Uh, a hunting friend of mine, his name is Lloyd Foreman, and uh, we we spent so many times together, and we had made so many memories of something. You know, all the guys I've hunted with, but Lloyd and I, the, I mean, we've had each other's back and helped each other out. I mean, I, I, I owe him big time and, and, uh, I, and I, and I've, I've done things for him too. I'm sure he appreciated. And, and we had shared such a big, big, good partnership with, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Do you have a specific, I mean, do you have a specific hunt? Like, let's say, um, your first trip out of Louisiana or, uh, to the mid, did, you said you hunted 12, uh, 12 total states. Did you ever get up into the Iowa to Illinois? And, and uh... I, I got up close to Iowa in Missouri. I made a hunt up in the northern part of Missouri one time with some guys. And uh, I, I, I missed a good deer. You know, I, I say I missed a lot of deer. And, and uh, I missed a good one up there. But uh, my, the most of my, my kills are, are in Louisiana, Mississippi, and, uh, and, and uh, Arkansas, and Alabama. And in, in, in those southern states like that, you know, I spent a lot of most of my time there. Right. It, but just just to give you an example of of uh, the detailed records I kept. How many people know exactly how many bow hunts they made in their lifetime? Right. I've made two thousand and twenty bow hunts in my lifetime. That that's just an example of the of the uh, records I keep and everything. Right. Right. And you know, that's one. That's that's. Uh... That's something that I think I might be trying to do is keep a detailed journal of everything that happens. I mean, I I take it it's it's time consuming, but at the same time rewarding. Oh, is it? You'll get where you enjoy that as much as the hunt coming back and and you, you got to do it as soon as you get back unless you keep notes on a long on a long hunt like a, a multi day hunt. But uh, when you get back, man, I write it all down. I you know, but with X. Now, some of the st- daily entries aren't as detailed as others because I'm not, not seeing anything, you know. But I still mention where I hunted and how I set up and, and, and what I was hunting over and this, that, and other. I mention every one of them. But, uh, yeah, I keep uh, – I got a – I got a, a – I start off with uh, my kills. I got all my kills. I got them numbered one through the 377. And I, I write all my, in my writings, I, in my typing too. All my gun kills are in blue. My muzzleloader is in green, and and uh, and my bow kills are all in red. Everything that's how I keep up with. I can instantly look and tell if it's a bow hunt or a gun hunt or or whatever. And then and my records, my my Bible, I guess you could say. I start off one through that, and I, I write what gun kill it is. Like like number uh, thirty four kill was my twentieth. Six bow kill, and I write the, the what day it was, what the date was, what the time was, what the deer was, the method of hunting, how far the shot was, how far the travel was, and where I was hunting. Right. And I got that for all of them. And then let me turn over to the next deal. I, if I don't know if you're interested in hearing this or not, but it's it's the way I do it. But anyway, I keep up with that. I keep up with uh I'm trying to keep up with uh my methods of hunt. Methods of bow and gun kills, and uh, I got down areas, uh, water oaks, red oaks, cow oaks, nut oaks, white oaks, schumers. This is all stuff I've killed on. 
yeah. cherry bark oaks, honey locusts, trails, walking, persimmon, wheat fields, food plots, cut over, creek crossings, corn, sardines, and uh, I killed one deer. The dogs was running, actually. I actually killed two. I, I, I need to write another one down that. And then I, I called one in and killed it. Then I got my... My each year I hunted starts off with 1968, and uh, I got October, November, December, January. What I killed in October, November, December, January, and then I got the total for each year. And then, uh, then I keep up with the numbers. I, I keep up with the days. I keep up with the hours I hunted. Uh, like uh, this past season, I made I made 158 days. I made uh, 42 morning hunts and 30 evening hunts. I had a total of 72 hunts, and uh, saw 53 deer, and uh, I made 52 hunts. I didn't see a deer, and that, that shows you how bad things are. And uh, I had 185 hours in a tree stand, and I killed two deer this past season. So yeah, that's just a general idea how to do that. But, but and then I I keep up with uh, my hunts, my shots, my hits, my finds. I keep a graph on all that stuff too, and uh. I've got how many bucks I've killed, how many does I've killed, uh, how many bow kills with a bug. I got all that stuff down. And then, but the coolest one that I really like to keep up is I got I got the days like October the first through the thirtieth. And when I kill a deer that on that day, I write the year down on there. And so, and so I'm looking at October right now, and I've killed a deer every day in October except for October twenty first. And that, that's I've shot at deer, I've missed deer, I hit deer I hadn't found, but I've never actually killed one on October 21st. Man, it's been haunting me. I've been trying to, so sometimes it'd be bad weather, I can't hunt or something happen. I just can't fill that that gap. But I got all the, the years that I killed deer on, on October, November, December, and January. Like what, that. Uh, what date have you killed the most deer on? Oh, man, I'd have to look and see. <laughs> uh let me let me look real quick. I know I know it's a time uh, thing here. Oh, October the sixth is looking strong. No, I'm sorry, it, October the seventeenth, man. I killed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years on October seventeenth, and uh, November the tenth was a real good uh, year uh, day too. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That on that day and. December, the best day was uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 on December the 8th. And January is real hard. It, it, things, they've been fooled with so much, and everything gets so bad then, it, it's, and the weather gets deteriorates, gets real bad. And uh, I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I've got six days in January I've never killed a deer, and, the, and my best day was probably the 29th. I killed four on the 29th so anyway that's it's just fun keeping up with that, that thing and uh, stuff like that and i encourage anybody to do it take a lot of pictures take video and make a season tape with your video every year and and uh and keep records write it down just write it, it, it you're only limited by your imagination the stats you can keep on on what you're right. doing right so you mentioned you you know you said you're you're kind of in the december of your your hunting season or in your hunting life i guess right what do you have left to accomplish in the woods 
uh, whether deer or, or hunting in general? Well, you know, not not a whole lot. You know, I've I've no, I've killed Pope and Young Buck before. You know, and and I, I've killed a, a you know, it's, it'd be impossible for me to kill a Boone Crockett on hunt where they at and everything. But uh, I've never been interested in, in big deer. You know, I, I like killing good bucks. You know, decent bucks and everything. But I, I always like to kill. The goal I always wanted to do, I wanted to kill a hundred deer with a recurve, and, and I did that two years ago. Yeah, I, I killed my 100th with a recurve, and, and I tell you the truth, it was like somebody let the air out of me. And I've, 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 I've accomplished everything I set out to do, and and, uh, and when I kill that hundredth deer with my recurve, it was just like a life. I lost a lot of drive. I still love to do this. I love to talk about it. I love to think about it. But I'm telling you, the aging process. I, I walk every day. I lift weights every day. And I, I I I stay in shape, you know, the best I can for a seventy-two-year-old. But I just can't compete in those woods like I used to. I used to hit a drainage and I'd run looking for oak trees for a mile down one side of it, and I'd jump over and come back to the other side looking for oak trees. Wasn't nothing to do that day after day, morning after morning, and uh, I, I can't do that no more. I know places I can go kill deer now, but I know time I I get there to check see if they're any good and get back out. I'm too tired to go back. I can't go back. I just don't have the energy and, and stamina that I used to have. Right. Do you, I mean, do you have any aspirations of, you know, other species like elk or mule deer or, or pronghorn or anything like that? No, I tell you what, I like those turkeys a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, that other stuff, I, went, I made a hunt out in Colorado in, in uh, 75. In fact, when I got that compound bow, I'd been shooting my recurve getting prepared for this, and I got that compound bow, that first one, three days before we left to go to Colorado. And I shot it, and I went out there and, and, uh, and killed a mule deer with it, mule deer doe, and, and shot an elk I didn't recover. And uh, and that was my out west trip. You know, I, I made it, and I, I really enjoyed it and everything, but I didn't care to go back. I, yeah. I always figured I'd rather, I'd rather hunt in my local areas around here then and as much as spent all my money on time off from work and and put all my effort in a local area and 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 try to kill enough deer to satisfy me than to go off these other places when you know i've I've went to other places but it's hard when you go to a place you don't know and hadn't been and it's 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 not a guarantee i don't care how many deer they are how easy they're supposed to be hunting everything you got it takes time you know you got to find you got to figure them out and when you go over there and you go for three or four days a year, you know, your potential for success is, I think, low percentage. Right. Right. So I've always been happy just hunting, you know, within, uh, I don't know, half a day's drive from the house at the most. Right. Okay. Well, Warren, I tell you what, we're coming up on about an hour now. First off, I want to say thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your day to come on the show and talk about this. I really appreciate it. I just hope it don't bore everybody to death. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I know my listeners are going to like this. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, you know, and uh, and uh, and I enjoy talking with you. So, and then the last thing I want you to uh, tell us is, and just remind us one more time, you know, we're all your, we're all that information about, you know, your journal, your bow kill. Where can we find that? Well, you can go to the outdoorcore.com and uh, and the, the the form is the Womack Journal. Okay, perfect, perfect. And uh, so, or you can or you can Google my name and it'll pop up. Okay. 
Well, I tell you what, I'm going to, you know, tell everybody to make sure they go and check that out. I'm actually on there right now, and I think I'll spend a little time digging through it after I'm off the phone with you. But, uh, again, thank you for your time, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it myself, and it's nice talking with you, and I wish you the best. And that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is a perfect example of what a class act is. So thank you very much, Warren, for coming on the show and uh, sharing your story with us. Really appreciate it. Now, listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate the time that you dedicate to this uh, show. And I can tell by the statistics that more and more of you are are starting to to climb on and, and listen to the podcast. And I can't thank you enough for doing that. Huge shout out to Exodus Trail Cameras. Thank you guys for believing in the show. And uh, if you guys have not already followed me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, go do that right now. Um, lots of pictures, lots of questions, lots of dialogue between myself and you guys. And uh, I'm just like you guys. I want to find out as much information, not only about hunting gear and equipment, but how to hunt as well. And I love sharing the, you know, the big buck photos or your first buck photo or any deer, really any pictures or stories. So if you guys are interested in coming on the show and, uh, you know, either reviewing hunting gear and equipment like, uh, like we do, we, we do the product review podcast. If you want to come on and tell a story of a, a buck or a deer or an elk or a mule deer or an antelope or a bear or a moose or a goat or a sheep, and you want to come on the show and uh, tell us that story, hit me up at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com or uh, message me through Facebook. Uh, that's uh, one way too. So uh, if you're new to this podcast, I just want to say the whole point of this podcast to is to have interaction with the quote-unquote average Joes. Yeah, we're going to interview some big dogs sometimes too, but the people who make the hunting industry go round is you guys so thank you other than that if you're going to be in a tree this weekend setting up trail cameras or setting up tree stands you need to wear your damn safety harness have a good weekend